the little note pops up. I don't see. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Failing Forward. Mona Lisa, can you introduce yourself for our audience today? Yes. And thank you, first of all, for having me on this. So I'm Mona Lisa Salib. I am chief of party of a program in Vietnam called USAID Learns, and I work for Social Impact. And why is it important for us to be talking about failure? Oh, so important. Um, I think on an individual level, uh, it just makes us human. I think we become more interesting when we know and share our weaknesses and our foibles and our mistakes. I think on an organizational level, it's really so that we don't make this, you know, have the same fail again. So we're trying to avoid, in my mind, recreating past failures. So those would be my two main reasons. I think there's an individual level reason and I think there's an organizational one. Uh, and both come down to just being honest with ourselves. What's the example you're going to be sharing with us today? So I will try and share an example around some theory of change work that I've been doing. And so I think the fail in a nutshell is I feel like I've been failing at helping people unlearn what I consider sort of older traditional ways of creating theories of change. And I think I'm failing at making the pitch for how important context is. Because what I continue to see in working with teams is that we sort of still end up at the same point of a generic theory of change that you could sort of, you could pick up and just kind of be like, oh, that, that makes logical sense. And logically you could do that in X country, Y country, Z country. But it's not getting to the point where I feel I'm doing a great job helping people come up with a theory of change that is really specific to a context, that it could only work in that context. And so I'm struggling, I'm still struggling with that. Um, and that's sort of, it's. I guess it's the failure of, there's a failure of communication potentially, there's a failure of convincing, there's a failure of making the case that this is a better way of doing it, and there's a failure of just, yeah, creating that change in the people I'm working with. So context is so important, you know, especially because it's the topic of, of what you're talking about. What's some of the context about where you're operating and what's happening in your space right now? So in my current role, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my current context is that our program is to support USAID Vietnam and implementing partners here in adopting, collaborating, learning, and adapting practices in their work in the, in the hope that, I mean, and of course, based on evidence that exists, that doing so would result in better development. And so my context is working, I mean, across a wide array of technical areas across USAID Vietnam and with partners as well. And when you think about that idea of how to focus on context and that actually what you're looking for is a theory of change 
that doesn't work in every country around the world. Why is that so important? I think it's important because, well, I mean, I think first of all, theories of change are important because they lay the framework for how we're going to go about creating change. And so that, I don't know what we're doing if we don't have a clear one, right? <laughs> like we're sort of wandering in the dark. Um, so it's important first and foremost to have one that's that's good. And it's important that it be context specific because how we create change is based on the context. We cannot divorce how change will happen from the context in which the change is supposed to occur. And so it often feels like we're creating very generic theories that in reality, sometimes I almost feel like I want to call them magical thinking. You know, like it's this magical thinking exercise. Um, and I want it to be more of an exercise of reality. And here are the change, who, here are the people who will make the change. Here are the local actors who will really create this. Here's the levers you need to pull in the system to make this change happen. That can only be known if you know the context. So, you know, to say generic things like the private sector and civil society, to me, is not super helpful. Mm -hmm. Who are those people? Who are the local people in the system who are going to make the change? That's how things work. That's how change happens. Um, and so needing to just be really just like saddled up and like cozy with the context <laughs> is sort of how I picture it. Like, are we cozy with the context? And I think it's actually really hard. Like, I think it's really hard work to understand all of that, understand the dynamics. And it's easier, actually, to just create generic logical statements, of course. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, cozy with the context is, is what I hope for. <laughs> what is an example of when that goes wrong? You know, you talked a little bit about private sector versus specifying exactly who. Can you talk a little bit about what happens when we don't do it right? Yeah, I mean, I think, and actually, I should pull this up for you and share it with you if you haven't seen it. But one example I love is actually from Mercy Corps. And I very rarely see organizations do this, but I thought they did a great job actually sharing their fail. And they had what you could call a generic theory of change. I, I'm forgetting the details, so I'll send it to you. But it was in East Africa, I want to say it's Somalia, and they had a program where they were trying to increase uh, civic education among youth and provide youth employment skills, which is a common, right, there's a common approach across programs. And then when they actually, and so the, the generic theory of change was like, if we provide youth with these skills, they will, you know, find jobs and will avoid the trap of violent extremism. If we teach them how to engage civically, same same deal, we can you know, avoid violent extremism. Over time, they really committed to testing their theory of change and they did research on it. And they found that in fact, they were having the opposite impact because they were raising expectations and in doing so, and, it, and in, in raising expectations and not, nobody was doing anything on the other side of that to meet those expectations. And so they found actually that 
you know, that theory of change was not holding. And they did a, a big turnaround. I mean, they really turned it around. And I found that so interesting because you don't really see a lot of people doing that. Like, first of all, doing the testing and then second of all, being like, oops, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's go back to the drawing board on that one. And and that's an example, though, of what logically it makes sense. Logically speaking, if somebody came up to me and was like, hey, we're going to, you know, train youth and we're going to get them engaged, you know, with civic education. You're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, they'll know how to engage civically. They'll have more skills. That sounds great. But then you don't actually, you're not working in the context. You're not seeing that this other side of it is nothing's being done on the governance side. Nothing's being done on the employment side. You're not cozy with the context in that situation. And so it ends up not working out. And I think that's just, for me, that's a great example of where, you know, you got to have that coziness and then you can actually make something that truly makes sense uh, for the context. And what are some of the habits we have to unlearn to get there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think we have to unlearn simple if-then statements. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, I have to unlearn them too, right? We all, we all do this. Um, so we have to unlearn simple if-then statements. We have to unlearn s starting, I think, with some of the magical thinking. I think we start so often with what we want to achieve rather than starting with the context. So for me, it's starting with the context and figuring out what's even achievable rather than the magical thinking, which is here's what I want to achieve divorced from the context. Um, so I think that's a big one. Those would probably be my big two. And I also, and I, again, I'm, uh, you know, was a, a proponent of this, and these are things I'm unlearning too. You know, it used to be when we did logical frameworks or we were doing new program design, we do like a problem tree. And then you could reverse engineer the problem tree into a results framework. But you never know which of these problems actually makes sense to tackle in this context? Which of these parts of the problem tree have people on the ground who want to do something about this problem? Of those people who has power to do something about this problem? So we we can still use problem trees and and you know have fun with that thinking, but you can't stop there. You have to figure out within that whatever picture you're drawing or creating within that what what is realistic to change based on the people who would end up changing it we're we're ultimately there in terms of me as an international actor we're ultimately there just to help facilitate to connect with resources etc but if you don't know who is going to make that change it's obviously not us as outsiders as people in the system so for me it's yeah, it's unlearning a lot of those things and, and taking them a step further. There's something somewhat revolutionary about saying it's obviously not us as outsiders. That's not where the change is happening. 
it's also not revolutionary at all, right? It's also screamingly obvious. It's both of those at the same time. How do you think about getting more people to this idea that it's not my log frame that makes the change? It's not me with my log frame and my theory of change that results in the impact. How do we help people get there? Oh my gosh, if we had an answer to that question, we'd <laughs> we'd be millionaires now. Um, it's a great question. I think we've gotten so much better. I mean, I've been working in development for 20, almost 20 years. I think we've gotten so much better. That said, I think we still generally as an industry, as a you know set of organizations working on development issues, we tend to think that the technical solution is going to resolve it. I come from an organization development background, so I did my master's in organization development. And my sense of the world is much different. And I think that's how I ended up being a generalist. I don't really know much about anything. <laughs> so I think it's that I, I see it as the technical solution will not get you anywhere without the people. And I, I don't know, how do we get people to realize that? I mean, what's your sense of it? Are you seeing people change towards that, that mentality? In some places, right? And I think we've come a long way since I started. And I think there's also this real tendency to sort of hold on to the security blanket of expertise. Yeah, yeah. I am an expert in, therefore the solution is. Yeah. Because the context and the people and the actors and the political economy are messy. And you can't nail that into a theory of change perfectly. Yeah. Um, and and to me, that's one of the big challenges of theories of change is in some ways they can become an attempt to put everything on paper and to, to unpack the whole context. And then it's like, OK, now we're just going to do all of this. And you design a complexity that is not possible. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of balancing that getting cozy with the context and understanding and embracing the complexity and picking a viable set of actions that is yeah. not we will solve everything yes i don't know that i've nailed that in fact i know that i have not nailed that yet. yeah because it's a constant i think it's a constant dance i don't know if you ever really nail it or you just try and you know with a bunch of people who are your your partners and your colleagues you try and muddle through as you go i mean i wonder if the way that you get people to realize how important the change management side of things is, is that you share these fails. Um, I think there are, I'm sure, countless examples of technical solutions gone awry because the people on the context were not taken into account. And so the more that we can share those examples and say, hey, it, I mean, sometimes, honestly, I feel like every evaluation I do or read is essentially saying the same thing. And what's that? It's that the people mattered more than the solution. I mean, in a nutshell, it's the people mattered more than the solution. And so 
I I hope that we're getting closer to a reality in which I would say I, I think what's happening now is we like if we were going to split it, you know, out of 100%, the technical solution for me is still above the 50% mark. And it would be great if we could just come into more balance and say the technical solution and the change management part of this work are of equal importance. If not, the change management work being a little bit higher. Because having the people on board, having uh, you know the stakeholders who are going to make the change on board with you, even if that's slower, even if that takes more time, it means the technical solution will stick. So I'd either love to come just more into balance or even a little bit higher on the change management part of our, our jobs. And part of what's interesting about that is that the change management has to be for us too, right? Yes. It's not just about change management for other people and saying this government or this civil society organization or these people, me too. Yes. Do you have any examples of either that going well or of thinking about nope we needed to do that differently mm, yeah that's a great question you're great you're great at asking these podcast questions <laughs> um yeah where we need to change ourselves too i mean it's funny you're saying this because i was just in a conversation with a usaid washington colleague about this exact issue on how localization you know as it's talked about now is the act of international actors changing their capacity to engage in the local system and to show up differently and to actually not show up as experts, but to show up as facilitators or coaches or connectors. So do I have an example you mean where I've seen that change take place where people have changed there? I mean, for a long, I've worked at a number, I used to be more directly on on direct implementation, and I was lucky to work at organizations that I think did that actually really well. Um, so I worked, you know, now that I'm not talking about fails, I can say <laughs> which places. You know, I worked at CHF, which is now Global Communities. I worked at uh, Partners Global, and the, these both organizations took a stance of uh, facilitators, coaches, connectors. The international staff were expected to behave in that way. And that meant that we just showed up very differently in those, in, in a, you know, in a, a country context. So I've definitely seen that. Um, and that's also informing how I, you know, how I've come to understand how we should design, how I've come to understand how we should show up how it's informed what I've studied and what I've decided, you know, how I continued my education in this field of international development, why I chose the things I did. So definitely I've seen it. Um, and it's not as if it's not happening. It's happening. But could we get it to happen more? <laughs> and could we get that to be the norm, I guess is the point. And when you think about theories of change, when I first started hearing the term and doing the trainings and talking about theories of change. It was sort of all described as this is a way to understand the context. And this is a way to unpack all of the assumptions, which is where a lot of the magical thinking sits. Assumption, yeah. there will be no drought. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's a way to to sort of surface that. And yet what you're describing, and I've seen it too, is that somehow we still don't get there. Why not? I think it's this issue that you actually articulated. It's really hard. I think, um, and I think we're also sort of never done with theory of change. I think it's also the problem of thinking that you can create it and you can walk away from it. Because I think if you're really going to get cozy with the context, you're always in a situation where you're thinking about it and reflecting and, you know, it's just kind of bread and butter of how you operate in, in your work. I think it's really, really, really hard. I think you have to have a great group of people and partners to even figure it out at the outset. And then you have to keep talking to each other. And this kind of stuff, like system-wide, what's what I think our incentives in international development often are not aligned with the kind of thinking and reflection that it takes to do good work. Our incentives are aligned to a lot of times to photo ops or to quick wins, to press releases, to outputs, and the system keeps, so the system keeps producing them. And our incentives, our incentive structure has yet to align with you know, incentivizing the hard work that we're talking about. There's limited time. Everybody's busy in non uh, nonprofits, but others as well. You experience low staff, you know, um, too few staff, too few re resources. All of these things are not incentivizing us to do that kind of work. If you could go back and do it all over again, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? I think I would have maybe been a bit pushier. I think sometimes also we're very polite. <laughs> um, and I'm not talking about with local stakeholders, right? I'm talking about with other international stakeholders. I think I would have been a little bit more... Um, I don't know if pushy is the right word, but a little bit more forthright in what I think it takes for us to do a better job. Um, and not been as scared of if that's an unpopular opinion. And I probably would have done a better job listening to my own advice and understanding the political economy of the client, you know, and the people that I've worked with. Um, and so figuring out, because I also am completely vulnerable to magical thinking. <laughs> I get excited about ideas and I want to make them happen, and I do. But, you know, did I slow down enough to bring other people along? Taking your own advice is one of the hardest things to do, right? For me, it's I have all these examples of things that haven't worked or things that I think we need to do differently. But at the end of the day, those habits are so strong. Those patterns of this is how it is are so hard to unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing... Had, oh, go ahead. No, no, no sorry. No, please go. 
No, I think I lost it already. So you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could make one call to action for the people listening today, what do you want them to do differently? Oh, I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've come up with a catchphrase on this podcast, which is get cozy with context. I think that's what I would say. And what does that look like in practice? I think in practice, it looks like um, regularly, I mean, first of all, in developing a theory of change, it's starting with context rather than this high level, what you want to achieve. You start with context and you ask yourself, what is achievable in this context? I think when you're implementing, it's having regular conversations about context. And that can just be, you know, all the time, as, you know, I, I think a lot of leaders do this. We have to pay attention to the context in which we're working. And so teams also have to be doing this. You know, what's changing for us? Um, what are we noticing? Where did we think we were going to make progress and now we can't because something shifted? All of those kinds of questions are just regular conversations. I don't think it takes much effort. It's just about asking ourselves some questions and giving ourselves time to answer them together and making sure, you know, whenever I go, say, to, a, you know, an activity, I think I just give myself two seconds, you know, on the plane or, or if, you know, taking a car, just what, who am I going to meet and what are all the questions I want to ask? How can I stay curious about what's going on? And I usually show up to something with like, here are all my questions. And, you know, just to stay aware. What keeps you curious? <sighs> That's an interesting question. Uh, what keeps me curious? I think there's just, I find the world fascinating. <laughs> I find creating social change fascinating. I just think people are very interesting and the change they're trying to create is even more interesting. Um, and so I think I just, I just have a, yeah, a fascination with people and their own psychology and then how they want to create change. So that keeps me curious is understanding people and their motivations and, and, you know, how they're doing things and is it working and yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that keeps me curious. Is there anything else you want to say to the audience that I haven't asked you about yet? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. And any last thoughts, words of wisdom to share? Um, I think I, I think maybe the last thing I'll say is I think reflection is a muscle we can build. I don't I, I think it actually takes practice. I don't think it's necessarily natural. Maybe for some it comes more naturally than others, but I think if you think about it as a muscle and something that you can exercise and develop, I think it becomes easier to get into the habit of trying. You know, like 
I do a monthly leader, a leadership reflection where I ask myself questions and then write about them. And I think that kind of work builds the muscle so that when if you do it on a small scale every so often, it's much easier to do it on the bigger scale when you're, you know, lost in the complexity of a huge program. And also to rely on our colleagues. I mean, I think we don't have to do, we can't and we don't do any of this alone. So how can I also, how can we all reflect with each other um, and use each other as mirrors uh, to reflect more? Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. It's really been a pleasure learning from you. And now I'm definitely curious about how can I sort of build some of that muscle of reflection and what do I do next? Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. This was so fun. And I, my head hurts now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think you have the stop button on the recording. <laughs>